Welcome to Wisdom and the Word Podcast, the show that not only answers your questions from God's Word, but equips believers with the foundational truths for their faith. We're excited that you've taken time to join us and hope that today's content is valuable to you. In today's episode, Pastor Wiley answers a listener's question about the kingdom of God. Welcome to Wisdom in the Word. We're so glad that you're joining us today. Today is Thoughtful Thursday, where we answer your questions, uh, questions that our listeners submit to us about the Bible, things that they have discovered or questions they had as they were reading through the scriptures, or even just things that they always wanted to know. Uh, our our question today that we're going to deal with uh, deals with the kingdom of God, and uh, we're gonna. This will be a revisit of something that we did back. Uh, probably three or four months ago uh, on our Thursday broadcast, but we're, we're going to kind of deal with it again because it's something that comes up quite often. Um, and here's the question. Je- Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. Was, re- was he referring to his 1,000-year reign after the tribulation, or was he speaking about the period after the millennium when Satan comes back and then is finally cast into the lake of fire, or both? Is the millennial reign just one phase to Jesus' eternal rule? So this is about the kingdom of God. This particular question is about when Jesus referred to the kingdom. And there are several different nuanced thoughts to the question itself. And I feel like we need to define some of these before we answer the question. He asked, first off, uh, was he referring to his 1,000-year reign after the tribulation? Uh, We believe that the Bible teaches that Christ will rule and reign 1,000 years after the seven-year tribulation period. Uh, We believe in a literal 1,000-year reign. And again, um, we've said before not to be careful, not to classify that reign as uh, the only part of Christ's reign. Jesus' reign will have no end. This is just characterized by the first 1,000 years. And the reason why we label it the first 1,000 years is because at the end of that thousand year, uh, Satan is loosed and he deceives many as the sand of the sea. And then we find the, we see the great white throne judgment taking place. And then we enter into eternity. Now there's no end to the rule and reign of Christ. Uh, we just have an interruption there at the thousand year, uh, mark. And then we begin eternity. So, um, and again, so that's the question about the millennium. Uh, then, he says, um, is the millennial reign just one phase to Jesus' eternal rule? Um, what is this referring to when Jesus refers to the kingdom of God? Well, uh, it's interesting here, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, there's a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you read the books of Mark and Luke, the Gospels of Mark, just dealing with the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mark and Luke will use the uh, phrase uh, kingdom of God. Matthew, when he is writing, he will use the phrase over and over, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Now, this has led a lot of scholars to debate what the difference is between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, whether there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And if there is a difference between them, what is that difference? And so there has been a lot of talk and speculation about the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I want to kind of talk a little bit about today, because as we talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and their differences, we also can define them and come to a conclusion as to what they are. Um, 
And so, you know, as we begin today, um, some uh, Schofield back years ago wrote that there was um, a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. He said, uh, the kingdom of God only contains beings who willingly subject themselves to the rule of God, whether they were human or angelic. The kingdom of heaven contains only earthly creatures who profess to be subject to God. So he said the kingdom of heaven contains both believers and unbelievers. The kingdom of God contains true believers. Then he would say the kingdom of God is eternal and spiritual in nature, while the kingdom of heaven is temporal and physical in nature. Now, again, when I was brought up, this has always been an area of confusion because there's just a massive amount of scriptures that deal with kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And on top of that, I've heard so many different thoughts and theories um, and pastors and preachers love to hypothesize on this particular point. Now, there are reasons to doubt why, if there's a really a, a huge distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Um, and we don't have time to deal with it really today in, in great detail. But uh, we have to understand, first off, that parallel passages show that Matthew's use of kingdom of heaven matches the use of kingdom of God in the other gospel writers. Um, when you're reading um, them, you'll find that they are used interchangeably a lot of times. And so if we're trying to distinguish, it's hard to distinguish between two term, terms that are used interchangeably. Um, Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven 32 times. Uh, Twelve of those are within narratives which are recorded in either Mark or Luke, sometimes both. So of the 32, 12 of them kind of overlap. In every parallel count, the other synoptic writer, Mark or Luke, or both, chose to use kingdom of God instead of kingdom of heaven. He just, just uses the other phrase. This would indicate that what Matthew called the kingdom of heaven, the other gospel writers identified as the kingdom of God. Uh, for example, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, Matthew records that the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven, Luke who's citing the same sermon, records Jesus is saying that the poor will poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. So again, it's hard to believe that there's a distinguishing mark between them when oftentimes when they're used to tell the same story, they're used interchangeably. Now, the second reason to doubt the distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is based on the parallelism evident in Matthew 19, 23, and 24. In verse 23 of that text, Jesus declares that it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 24, he declares that the rich man could not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so Matthew mentions Matthew mentions both kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Okay, they're used interchangeably. Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24. Again, they're used the same way. Matthew 19, and back to back, Matthew 19, 23, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, verse 23, kingdom of God, in verse number 24. Here, Matthew mentions both the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, connecting them with again I say unto you, signaling a repetition of the same idea. So if there's a distinction between the two kingdoms, it's difficult to imagine why Matthew does not explicitly express this distinction, why he wouldn't tell us that there's a difference between the two. 
So it appears that the proponent of the distinction has to bear the burden of proving that Matthew makes a clear distinction. Now, Matthew 19, 23, and 24 provides really another reason to avoid making a distinction between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, and that is Jesus argues that it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But if the kingdom of heaven is a realm of, of Christian profession and not necessarily true possession, if it's just professing believers or people who profess to know Christ, it doesn't appear that entrance into his kingdom would be as difficult as Jesus claims. Further, Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 maintains that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, will enter in. So saying, Lord, Lord, without a submissive heart attitude appears to be the very definition of the mere profession. And so it's hard to believe that there's a distinction here when there really is no specific distinction, especially when the terms are used interchangeably. Now, as we think about this thought of the kingdom, um, when we think about the distinction, the distinction that's really being made in the gospel of Matthew is a distinction between heaven and earth. And this is what I think we often miss and what we need to see. Um, when we talk about Matthew, we talk about the distinction between heaven and earth is, is, a, very, is a fact in Scripture. Uh, later revelation would confirm that the heavens are the abode of God, while the earth is the abode of man. So the kings of the earth battle against the God of heaven, and, and all of these Old Testament themes were evident to Matthew and his audience. Most importantly to Matthew, however, was Daniel 2.44, which reveals that the God of heaven will one day establish a kingdom that will replace the kingdoms of the world. That this God who's in heaven and the God of heaven and the people of earth, there's a separation, there's a distinction between heaven and earth. And that the idea of this kingdom from the God of heaven quickly and pervasively caught the hearts of the Hebrew people who longed for political freedom. Remember, the people wanted to be free. They wanted God to come and set up a kingdom. They had they had, had rulers. They had had kings, but they did not have God as their king. And if God were to come and the God of heaven were to come and set up a kingdom on earth, it would essentially free them from the tyranny of those that ruled over them. And the Jews were anticipating that. In fact, that's the way they understood the Old Testament scriptures when the Messiah would come, is that he would set up a, a, a government, and the Bible does promise that, and that when he sat on that throne, that they would be free from the tyranny of Rome or whoever else that was that was lording over them. So they had this longing that was in their hearts from the time of Daniel and, and going forward all the way through the, the silent period between the Testaments and the intertestamental period leading up to Matthew's gospel, that they believed that, that the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come and establish his kingdom. Matthew, who's writing to Jewish people primarily, that's his audience, um, still embraced the hope of a future kingdom from the God of heaven. So it seems that the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, he uses the terms to directly correlate the kingdom that Jesus is going to establish, the long-awaited hope established in Daniel 2. So if he's trying to contrast between heaven and earth, he would use the kingdom of heaven more often than the kingdom of God because he's trying to talk about the God of heaven bringing the kingdom of heaven to the earth. And this was the hope 
of the Jewish people, the Jewish mind. So in writing to them, this is a natural, natural thought. So it seems that when you're talking about the, the kingdom, if we were to talk about it in uh, specific terms, um, I think we would say, what is the kingdom? We would say, first off, there is coming a literal physical kingdom. The Bible promises this over and over and over again of the Messiah coming and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. The Bible promises that the government would sit upon his shoulders, Isaiah does. Over and over again in the Old Testament, again in the New Testament, it's promised um, that he will put all things under his feet, that one of these days he's going to rule, that we will rule and reign with him. So there is a, a literal physical aspect to the kingdom, which is yet future, which we are coming to see. But we cannot deny the spiritual aspect of the kingdom as well, because it seems that this spiritual aspect of the kingdom is that to which Christ refers when he talks about all of us being subjects in the kingdom of God. That is, those of us who are saved, who have subjected ourselves to King Jesus and received him as Savior, all of us would be subjects in this spiritual kingdom. And that the kingdom which is going to come is still going to come. But there's an aspect in the Bible of a kingdom that has already come. And so this is this is very, very important to distinguish because uh, when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about both a, a future kingdom and a kingdom that is coming today, uh, a kingdom that has all, already come in that in that regard. Um, the kingdom is referred to in the Gospels over and over again. Um, and it seems that the kingdom of God seems to be synonymous with the kingdom of heaven, uh, not to deny any distinctions that would be made, but that seems to be the case. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's his rule uh, as, as an eternal sovereign God over all of the universe, uh, that God sits on the throne of the universe. It's also the spiritual rule that God has over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. So again, those who defy God's authority, those who refuse to submit to him, aren't part of the kingdom of God. Uh, those who acknowledge the lordship of Christ and gladly surrender to God's rule are part of the kingdom. Now, again, we got to distinguish between the kingdom of God, the family of God, and the church, and we don't have time in this podcast to be able to spend time uh, doing that and what those uh, different things are. It would probably be a good follow-up question if somebody would like to ask that if you're interested. But again, the kingdom of God can be equated with the sphere of salvation. And that's evident in John three, five to seven, where Jesus says the kingdom of God must be entered into by being born again. He said, he tells Nicodemus very clearly that uh, he cannot see, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So uh, John uses the phrase kingdom of God and kingdom is used. Now, Again, there's another sense in which the kingdom of God is used in Scripture, and that is the literal rule of Christ. So it, it deals with God's rule over the whole universe sitting on the throne. God is king over all creation. He, he rules. But also it refers to a, a spiritual aspect, a spiritual kingdom. And this spiritual kingdom is obvious, something that we must enter in by being born again. And then additionally, there's the literal physical rule of Christ 
um, that will be on earth during the millennium and then even beyond a kingdom that God, that Jesus will sit on, a throne he'll sit on, that there'll be no end. And this is promised in, again, Daniel 2 and verse number 44, which we've already mentioned, and other prophets predicted the same thing. Obadiah predicted it. Habakkuk predicted it. Micah predicted it. Zechariah pre predicted it. Now, some theologians refer to the future, the, the future open manifestation of the kingdom of God as the kingdom of glory, and the present hidden manifestation of the kingdom of God, of the spiritual one, as the kingdom of grace. But 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 they're both connected. Christ has set up uh, his spiritual reign uh, in our hearts on the earth, and he will one day set up his, his physical reign um, in Jerusalem. And so that's coming. He's going to literally sit on the throne. Um, now, there's a sense in which, um, you know, some people believe that, you know, the family of God, um, when it talks about of whom the whole heaven and earth is named, that the family of God relates to every person that's ever been born who has who has by faith entered into covenant with God, relationship with God. And so it literally would go from, you know, every person from Genesis all the way through Revelation through the entire time span of life. And that every person, the whole family in heaven and earth is named after, after God. And then some people would say the kingdom of God is really the people he's reigning over right then, right now. Those who are saved and those who are his subjects are part of his kingdom. And, and they're presently, it's a, it's a present kingdom with a future aspect. And then other people would believe that when you refer to the church, uh, you're referring to the called out group of people who have been um, saved and baptized and gathered together uh, to be able to evangelize the world. And, um, and you can distinguish in the Bible between all three of those groups. But Going back to our original question on the kingdom, what does the kingdom refer to? Well, it refers to more than it refers to more than just um, just you know the millennial reign. It refers to more than uh, just um, a period when Satan comes back um, or the tribulation. Um, it refers to much more than that. It's not just the physical reign of Christ. There's definitely a spiritual aspect to it. Now, again, remember Matthew, Matthew's trying to distinguish between the kingdom of heaven and between the kingdom of, of heaven and the God of heaven bringing here to his earth because those things were seen separate. He was going to bring his kingdom here to earth and he really was trying to leave the people with hope to let them know that what God had promised, even though it wasn't going to happen right now, what God had promised is still going to take place. Um, he's trying to, again, he's, he's trying to bring all these concepts together from the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew notes that Jesus is the king in opposition to Herod, who is an earthly king. And so he is over him. And uh, we see, you know, him even being threatened in the gospel of Matthew, uh, his reign being threatened uh, there from the very beginning. So uh, it seems like that Matthew is trying to assure his readers um, that those who embrace Jesus were on the side of, of God in heaven, who would eventually establish his future throne here on earth. And also that he's reassuring Daniel's listeners that God's plan is still functioning, despite the historical context in Babylon of when Daniel wrote Daniel chapter number two, verse 44, that Matthew's kingdom of heaven assures his reader that God's plan is still moving forward 
it, the, despite the historical context of Rome. That is, you take, you know, I know we're talking about Rome versus Babylon, but again, even though Rome is still reigning, God is still on the throne and he's still moving towards this real literal kingdom aspect. So there is a, a both a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect to the kingdom of God. In fact, very soon uh, here in our messages, uh, in our church, we're going to begin studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And some people look at that passage and they say, well, you know, this passage isn't for us because it relates to people who are going to be in the kingdom. And they say, you know, the kingdom is still way out ahead when Jesus comes and rules and reigns. And this is kind of like a um, a euphoric uh, type of, of presentation. But I think there's application to us today if we are part of this spiritual kingdom. That is, we are subjects by by faith in Jesus Christ. We become subjects in God's kingdom, and we are subjects here on the earth. While we walk, we ought to be subject to the teaching of the word of God and subject to the teaching of, of the kingdom. So again, it's, it's my position that the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, um, while there may be minute uh, minute differences between them for the majority of it, they're used interchangeably in the gospels. And that the reason why Matthew chooses uh, the phrase kingdom of heaven over the kingdom of God is for the specific purpose of being able to declare that, that the God of heaven is one day going to come and establish his kingdom here on earth. So that's kind of an overview of that. It's kind of, you know, we, we, there are several scriptures we could go to several that I've mentioned here that you can look up on your own. And if you have further questions, we can delve into that a little bit further. Um, now, the next question that I have uh, here that we're going to cover next week is uh, about uh, about the Sabbath. And basically, we believe that rest is biblical and the concept of one seventh of our life to be a period of dedicated rest is wise. So the question is, is it biblical for someone to stack their Sabbaths in rest? Hypothetically, if someone worked 24 straight days and then took four off each four weeks, would that be accepted as biblical? So that's an interesting way of, of being able to look at it. And uh, we'll try and tackle that question a little bit, talk a little bit about Sabbath, Sabbath laws, what God established and wrote in the pattern, how he intended it, and uh, whether or not we believe that this is uh, something that, that we believe can be done. So again, if you have any further questions, we want to encourage you to send them to us. Uh, you can email them to us. You can text them to us. Just make sure to get them in some way. Uh, we've got about four questions left here uh, from your own Bible study. And so if there's something that you always wanted to know or something you Come across, we'd be glad to get that uh, get that on our list and tackle it as we go through. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. We hope this has been helpful to you and encouraging to you. We look forward to seeing you next time as we gather together on Wisdom and the Word. Have a great rest of your day. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wisdom and the Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to support us by subscribing rating, and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app and sharing something you've learned on social media. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you next time on Wisdom in the Word.